Danville Auto Sales is located in Danville, Indiana and offers a selection of used vehicles. They're located at 1237 West Main Street in Danville and their phone number is 317-775-1977. More information can be found at their website, danville-autosales.com. This is Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger. Alan is a Hendricks County native that talks with your favorite entertainers. This is where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Sights and Sounds is sponsored by Danville Auto Sales. And now your host, Alan Kiger. Hello, this is Alan on WYRZ, and today I've got with me, I'm going to call him a living legend. I've got Rudy Sarzo. <laughs> Rudy, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm blessed. L- living legend. Well, I can. I, I am living legend. I'm not so sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, let's start off with the with the first question here. This is yeah. coming from your book, Off the Rails. Off the Rails. Yes. Which I highly recommend to all my listeners. One of the best books I've I've ever read. I'm Thank not, you so much. It was, it was very you. good. Um, something just so you know the fans can kind of yeah. get acquainted with you. Yeah. You were living with Kevin DeBro. Mm-hmm. Sleeping on his floor, yeah, and you got yeah. a chance to audition for Ozzy, yeah, and you literally went from living on the floor yeah. at his place to living yeah. in the cottage at Sheridan yeah. and Ozzy's. Tell, yeah. tell us about that. A Which bit. actually, living on the floor was the the original title of the Bon Jovi song, "Living on a Prayer," but it didn't sing as well. Okay, you know, that was a little little. A little joke. Uh, a little joke. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it light. <laughs> We're good. So, ha- yeah, actually, I, I, I wasn't living with Kevin. I was staying at his place because it was his place. And at one point, I had a, uh, a, a very uh, harsh parting of the ways with my girlfriend at the time. And I was basically, Kevin just came and picked me up and took me to his place. I was already playing with him in, in the band Dupro in his band. So uh, what happened was, um, so I, I stayed with him, you know, and the reason I was living on the floor is because I didn't have any furniture, you know, and so going to, from that, from sleeping on the floor to getting the, the Aussie audition, but you see, in between the sleeping on the floor and the Aussie audition, I, uh, the most important thing that happened to me was that <clears throat> at my lowest point in my life, I actually made peace with God about my my career path. That my relationship with God was more important than making it as a musician. And we're talking about making it. I'm not talking about you know living in in, in, in luxury or anything like that. We're talking about making a living. That that was our goal. Uh, of the musicians that I knew back in, in the seventies, early eighties, before the MTV era, because that MTV era just exploded and made a lot of us very, very wealthy. But I wasn't looking for that. It wasn't like I was, oh yeah, you know, I want to be driving a Rolls Royce and living in a mansion or anything like that. It was more like, yeah, I just, I just want to be able to play. I, I, I want to be able to have music as my career so I can be a musician all the time. That's a, that's a great goal. Great yeah. goal. Yes, yes. Um, what was it like 
being in a band, you know, your first big band, and you and you're here mm. playing with Ozzy and yeah. and your old friend Randy Rhodes, yeah. touring the country night after night. You're on yeah. the list of Oz. Tell tell the listeners a little bit about that. Well, you know, I always tell musicians, you know, always try to get yourself in a situation that you're playing with people better than you, you know, people that inspire you. I mean, there's no better experience than experience itself. You know, I mean, you can go to school. When I went to school, I, I, I went for mass communication and, and then uh, minor in music and in college, and it prepared me because it was unforeseeable at the time, you know, 1969, 1971, 72, that everything that I was going to learn from my mass communication courses was going to prepare me for the M- MTV generation, you know, where an artist needed to be a visual artist you know, not just audio. And um, so that really, really, really helped me, you know, to, to once it, I, and we enter musically that whole generation of like being visual, you know, it, uh, I, I understood it and I, uh, and I took advantage of everything that I learned in school. So that, that prepared me, but there's nothing like taking what you've been prepared for in school and actually applying it. And that's, and that's the experience that you get, you know. So once I started playing with Ozzy, it was kind of like that transitional period of, uh, for, even for Ozzy, of, of, from Black Sabbath, him being in Black Sabbath and being more of a traditional metal band to all of a sudden we have this massive production. You know, we have a castle, we have a dwarf running around, we're wearing medieval clothing, you know, so that was that. That was all, that was a major switch, and that was, believe it or not, and I wrote about it in the book. It's very influenced by us, the band Ozzy and Sharon attending a Jackson's. The last, actually, the last tour before Michael just went completely solo. This is in 1982. Actually, 81. We were, we, it, it was 1981, and the plan was that when Diary of a Madman came out, Sharon was going to take some of those ideas from their production and apply that to the, to the Diary of a Madman tour. Didn't you see that from reading the book? Wasn't that in Indianapolis at Marcus Square? It was uh, actually the show was at Marcus Square Arena, their show. We had just finished a show across the street at the, uh, the, the Market Square uh, Theater. At the theater, well, I can't recall exactly the name of it, but it was right across the street. So we finished our show, we ran into the Market Square Arena to watch the, sh- the, the show. And we basically caught like the laugh, the last half of, of the show. And it, w- it was magnificent, lighting, and they had robots and all of this stuff. And one of the things that, that they did at the time, the Jacksons, was they had no encore. No encore whatsoever. They finished the set, and that was that was the show. And Sharon said, "We're gonna do that." <laughs> want more? Yeah, metal crowds. They're not gonna l- l- let you go. No, no. They need that one or two more songs. Yeah. Um, when reading your book, I one of the things I really liked about it was the detail. Uh, I mean, you listed mm-hmm. in there what happened day to day, even down to the reviews mm-hmm. that the uh, people wrote about you, mm-hmm. uh, word for word. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes somebody write something like that? I mean, because you, you would tell things that 
that you and uh, Randy Rhodes did from day to day. You know, you took a walk, you went here, you got ice yeah, cream. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's a very detailed. Yeah, I'm very detailed because at the time that was my first real paying gig. So my family's accountant suggested that I kept the detail diary of my expenses so I could apply that for my taxes. Okay. You know, so that, you know, that's the only, I, I took his advice and I started writing everything down where we were and things that happened and what I did and expenses and, and so on. Also, in addition to that, as far as the reviews, at the end, <coughs> sorry, of the Diary of, Met, of, of the Blizzard of Oz tour, we were gifted by, by Sharon a book that was assembled by her uh, PR firm, Michael Jensen. They put together every single review in every single show that was either uh, uh, rescheduled, canceled, whatever. Everything was stamped. So when you, I, so I could look back at it. Now I still have that book. It's a huge leather-bound book. It's got my name on it. And it says Blizzard of Oz Tour. So it's got all the information. Now, because a lot of the shows were were rescheduled and canceled, I had I had to like check with my own notes every time that I wrote something in and I went by my notes because you know we would get an itinerary but at the end of the day a lot of a lot of the things that were scheduled did not happen because okay. things would get either rescheduled postponed or whatsoever okay uh, the book off the rails tells you your friendship with Randy I enjoyed how you told the stories of him getting classical guitar lessons mm. uh, in different towns, how he really wanted to be a better mm. guitar player. Mm. But from what I gathered in there, a lot of times he wound up giving lessons to the instructors, mm. and then but he still paid for the lesson. You know, I think when yeah. people read the book, it kind of tells of you know the kind of person he was. Yeah, that was his nature. Yeah, that's that's. Well, he was a teacher to begin with, so he understood what teachers go through. You know. So, you know, they show up and they have a lesson and, and you know, they're, they're, they're uh, trying to, they're, they want to get paid, basically, you know. And um, let's say if, if you happen to be Randy Rhodes and, and Jimmy Page walks in, I'm pretty sure uh, Randy will have a lot of questions for Jimmy Page. <laughs> and I'm sure Jimmy Page will wind up paying for the lesson anyways. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? You know, and, and I, I just... A hypothetical, you know, situation. But it's like that, you know. Musicians, it's it's once you once you become a teacher, you know, you're not only dealing with with giving the lesson. You're also at a music store, that the owner of the music store depends on your teaching to make you know to make a, a sort some sort of source of income in addition to selling musical instruments. Okay. Well, reading the book off the rails, knowing it was about Randy Rhodes, I was enjoying the story. But I knew I was going to get to, you mm. know, what I call the sad part of the story, yeah. where um, the plane crash happens yeah. with uh, the bus driver that was mm. driving the plane, and it, and it killed the, the bus driver who was the pilot, and killed Brandy, and it mm. killed Rachel. Mm -hmm. um, in your opinion, from your book, and if I'm wrong, make sure to let me know, but the way I feel that you told the story after you're giving your accounts to the the police mm -hmm. and Ozzy and Sharon and mm -hmm. everybody had that you really felt like Randy had tried to save your guys' life instead of the plane maybe being yeah. driven into the plane yeah throughout the book this is what I did I really did not influence the reader on feeling one way or the other having an opinion 
because I really didn't write any of my own opinions. I just set out the facts. It's maybe, I like, stated, maybe I stated that wrong, but that's how yeah. I kind of gathered how yeah. I felt about it. Well, it's it's up to you. I present the facts, and you read them, and you go, and then you make your, your own conclusion about it, which is exactly what, what I really wanted to accomplish. You know, I wanted to detail it. I, w- I wanted to report. This is these are the series of events that happen, and this is the outcome, and then this is the consequences. Because for every outcome, there's going to be some sort of a consequence, too. Especially if you have a plane crash, you know, because they just shatter everybody else's lives, you know. And and you talk about going down, going for a walk. I think Mm -hmm. it was that night, and you went into a church. Yeah, well, it was that afternoon. We had just checked into a hotel room, and I'm sitting there, and and I'm like, you know, (laughs) I have no consolation at the time, nobody to talk to, because this is pre smartphone period in 1982 so I'm sitting all by myself nobody to talk to nobody to call because anybody that I would talk to would be in the band and they're all going through their own personal crisis you know so there wasn't like I I could call my wife or my girlfriend or my mom and dad or any no it was like I'm alone in a room so it's like let me go for a walk and I found a church down the street I went in and I'm in I'm in the back because I just wanted to like talk to God, you know, and I see some person in the first row of the pews, massive, hysterically crying, and I'm going, wow, that person's in worse shape than I am, and then I realized it was Ozzy, you know, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. Very, very tragic. Um, let's go ahead and listen to a song um, from the 1987 tribute CD that you were on with Ozzy. Uh, Let's go ahead and listen to Crazy Train. We'll be back with more Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger. R&R Products presents Tracy Bird at the Hendricks County Fairgrounds on July 18th with guest Levi Riggs. Ticket information is at tracybirdtickets.com or sightsandsoundspromotions.com where Alan hangs out with music royalty. This is Levi Riggs, and you're listening to Alan on WYRZ. Listeners, we're back. I'm sitting here with uh, Rudy Sarzo. We just got done listening to a track that he played on Crazy Train. Um, we're going to go from um, Crazy Train with Rudy to, you know, you're playing the rest of the tour out after Randy had died. And from reading the book, I, I, I felt that you were you know, in a place where you maybe didn't want to be because you lost lost your friend and things were changing with Ozzy and you kind of, you were committed to finishing the tour, but after the tour, um, you got with Quiet Riot. You mind talking yeah, about actually, that? Yeah, actually, yeah. You know, uh, so many things change in a, in a, in a second when when Randy died in the crash, along with Rachel, because, you know, she should not be forgotten. Uh, but, you know, Randy being somebody that, you know, was my bandmate and somebody I, I, that was responsible for getting me in the band, you know, and, and such a outstanding and, and really 
irreplaceable contributor to Ozzy's music, which I say Ozzy's music, got it, but it's as much as Randy's music as is Ozzy, but the brand says Ozzy Osbourne, you know, and everybody knows that, Ozzy knows that, everybody. And uh, everything was changed, but changed to an extreme. Not having Randy there wasn't kind of like, well, this is kind of different. No, it was completely different. Completely different and painful. Most of all, very painful to get up on stage every night. It was just a matter of surviving the show. Like, if you play the show, I would just go into automatic pilot and just play notes. I wasn't really enjoying it. Nah, not, not enjoying it in the way that I did when Randy was there. So I lost the joy of playing. I did. And I saw myself in a, uh, in a DVD. Actually, it wasn't a DVD because DVDs did not <laughs> exist there. But it became a DVD. It's available in DVD now. But it was for the, what is known as Speak of the Devil, that it was a, a, a show that we did for MTV, that a premiere. Uh, Halloween 1982 on MTV, and uh, that I, I watched a, a a rough cut of it and the in the editing bay, and I noticed how I, I have I have no chemistry, no nothing. I'm just like I have my head down, and I'm just like like swinging my bass to the left to the right, and I, I'm just I say I say wow, this is not what why I sign up for basically this is not what I want to do with my life this is not how I wanted to end my life you know I mean because I did not foresee it being temporary this was going to be me as long as I stayed in that situation you know so I went from one of the biggest bands in the world to the complete unknown which was playing with Quiet Riot I mean at that time nobody in Los Angeles gave us any any thought or possibility that anything good was going to come out out of being releasing the record metal health people thought that we were total dinosaur music and but in LA in Los Angeles meanwhile I had already been on tour playing with Ozzy and having Def Leppard and Motorhead and you know these other metal bands English metal bands that were huge in England I and I felt well there's at least maybe we can go to England and play there. <laughs> Wherever there's a scene, we did not foresee the, what MTV was going to be able to do for us at all. The, you, it, that did not exist in our radar, you know. MTV for my generation, mm -hmm. I mean, I was always a music mm -hmm. fan, but it just completely, I mean, a lot of the songs, you know, you could, mm -hmm. you always had a, a vision in your head when you would listen to a song, but now you had somebody showing you the song yeah. a lot of times that went right along with the yeah, it that. changed everything. It was kind of like, you know, for my generation, it was the Beatles and Ed Sullivan or anything related with that appear on the Ed Sullivan show. It was the same thing. You know, I would uh, watch the the Beatles was the first example. You know, that was a, a, an explosion. You know, it just changed everything in America. You know, we went from mourning the, the loss of JFK, you know, to like three or four months later, we got the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and that took us on a whole different path. Yeah. That's, that's quite amazing. So you're 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 in Quiet Riot. Um, you guys wind up recording what winds up being a, a multi-platinum 
um, yeah. album, CD, whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it, called Metal Health. Mm -hmm. um, before we listen to the track of that, I want to tell you, um, the first time I heard that song, Come On, Feel the Noise, mm -hmm. at a paper out. It's 4.30 in the morning, I had my driver's <laughs> license, and 60-some people I had to go deliver papers to, and that song came on. Yeah. Well, I had to turn it up yeah. pretty high volume to yeah. deliver the papers, you know, walking from porch yeah. to porch to be able to listen to that yeah. song. Yeah, there wasn't really anything like that on on, uh, on Top 40 radio at the time, no, it, you know. It, it, and because, you know, rock and roll metal was pretty much, uh, uh, the airplay that I received was from uh, FM stations. And to actually go mainstream with that song, um, it, it, was, it opened a lot of doors. Uh, oh, it, it opened yeah. my eye. I mean, it was like, wow, I, I hadn't heard yeah. anything like this on the radio. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't get tips that week. You know, I think half my customers were mad at me. But yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sparked something inside of me. Uh, listeners, let's go ahead and we'll listen to uh, Come On, Feel the Noise. In case you're just tuning in, I'm with Rudy Zarzo, who is now playing with um, the Guess, Guess Who, who yeah. uh, which I'm up here seeing. But Rudy, let's go back. You know, you're, you're in Quiet Riot in what? You stayed with them until what, 1985? 85, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know a lot mm. of what happened between 85 and when you joined Whitesnake in 87, but mm. now you're a member of, of Whitesnake, which yeah. is another multi-platinum. And you went from Ozzy, you're in Quiet Riot, mm -hmm. now you're in Whitesnake. Mm. Tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about being with, with Whitesnake. And well, Whitesnake, the re uh, one of the reasons why I became a member was because Whitesnake was the opening band for Quiet Riot in the 1984 tour, so I got to know Coverdale a little bit, or enough, that when it came time for him to put a new band together, he asked me. Actually, he asked me on the pretty much told me that we were going to play together when we hugged for the last time in a, uh, on, the, on their uh, end of the tour party. You know, it was one of those, hey, man, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, it's been nice, see you later, whatever, it was kind of like he whispered in my ear, we're going to play together someday, very soon, <laughs> you know. And I thought, uh, I, I had no idea what he was talking about. And then, um, actually, Tommy Aldrich and I, about a few months later, like, I, I left in 85, so, like, at the, at the middle of 85, uh, Tommy and I, we were putting together a band, and we got a call in from Whitesnake's manager to come in and meet with them, not with David. David was out, was out of the country already working with John Sykes on the new record. And and he mentions to me about uh, the manager and to Tommy and myself about us joining the band. And as soon as I found out that John Sykes was still in the band, I thought, well, I just left the situation and I, and I was aware about the conflict of those that was with, going on between those two for whatever reason. I have no idea what the problem was, but there was a problem, you know, and I just didn't want to be part of that. <laughs> so, so once they, the album was recorded, I, again, we got another call two years later from John Kaladner this time about um, appearing on the video for Still of the Night. And I, we agreed, Tommy and I, and then we got there and we meet. We met. I, I already knew Adrian and, and and Vivian, but we met at at the video shoot, and it was like, wow, you're doing this. Yeah, I'm doing this. Oh well, well, if you're doing this, I think I'm gonna do it too, you know. And that was kind of like the the genesis of of all of us gathering and becoming a band. 
we were not a we were not a band officially when we shot Still the Night. And then by here I go again, we were a band because Still the Night was was video first, and then a few weeks later, here I go again, back to back with It's This Love. We're video back to back. Wow, yeah. that's that's pretty interesting to get to know that. Yeah. Um, Listeners, let's go ahead and listen to a song that I know Rudy played on here on a Slip of the Tongue CD, mm-hmm. uh, The Deeper the Love. I picked that one as kind of one of my favorites yeah. off of that. I'm back with Rudy Zar- Sarzo, mm-hmm. who is currently the bass player for the legendary group, The Guess Who. Mm-hmm. Rudy, let's talk a little bit other other stuff here. I mean, you started off, you, you got to play with Ozzy, then you went to Quiet Riot, mm-hmm. um, you were with uh, White Sting, mm-hmm. you have... I mean, the list goes on of all the people that you played for: Jeff Tate, Ronnie James Dio, Bloister. Actually, I, I, it was it was still branded as Queensrÿche. Okay. And what and what we did is just out of respect for the other for the founding members of Queensrÿche, I was referred to as Jeff Tate's Queensrÿche. Okay. Because you know, eventually, Queensrÿche became Queensrÿche. You know, without Jeff. Yeah. But you yeah. played with all of these legendary bands, mm-hmm. and, and you're and you're playing with one now. Um, do you have and I, I know this was a lot of work this labor of love of this mm-hmm. off the rails book but do you ever think you'll write another book yeah. from no no there was a specific reason why I wanted to uh, to write uh, off the rails it was because uh, I wanted to clear all of the uh, conspiracy theories and misinformation that was going around on the internet regarding uh, Randy's uh, crash okay. that was it and, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to write a one-chapter book, so I had to start at the very beginning and let people know what Randy was all about and why I took a, a year and a half out of my life. When I say out of my life means I will be on tour with a band, and while everybody was out, I was in my room writing the book. A page a day, a year and a half out of my life to write, to write that book. And there has to be a really solid reason you just don't do that for because you're bored and just and just for the heck of it. You well, know, that, that, you that, it was it was well worth it. The people yeah. that have read it, I yeah, uh, I'm telling you, it's one of, it's one of the favorite books I've ever read. Oh, thank you so much. It, well, uh-huh. One of the things that, that I really wanted to capture with the book is uh, I wanted to put the reader take him back to a time that it will never exist again in the music industry, how things were back then, which is I think is a really good reference for. For today's young, younger generation of musicians, at least it will give them a foundation and maybe explain to them why are things the way they are today. And I don't think that it will ever go back to that. I don't think it will ever happen because technology has changed everything. Yeah. And we had no technology back then, no, <laughs> as we know it today. No. But then the lack of technology creates something else, something more organic. Because whatever is not tech is organic. So the less technology, more organic. Okay. Um, we're nearing the end of the interview. I want to ask you something. In the beginning of your book, um, you give kudos to people. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I, I quote this mm-hmm. from you. And, and I want to ask you a little bit about this. You give thanks to God and my Lord Jesus Christ for yeah. guiding and often carrying me through this journey. Is that something that's still a big part? Because you yeah, still. I mean, it, it like I mentioned, it's a journey, uh, and it ends, or at least one one stage of it ends when I stop breathing, and the and the next journey continues. Okay, 
well, I just wanted to see if that was a big part of your life. It was in the front oh, absolutely. book. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, know, it's the least I can do. I, Christian, I like when you read stuff like that. that yeah, and, and if you notice, I, I was very sparse with my with mentioning my spiritual, you know, beliefs, because I figure if I mention it once, the right people are going to get it. If I keep mentioning, it, you know what I mean. Yeah. If I if it only takes one mention for people to get it, I will need to keep mentioning it over and over again. Plus, leading by example. If you lead, if you have a certain journey, and of course every journey you're going to have your, your ups and downs. You know, you're going to, every hero's story, there's going to, the hero at some point is going to fail. You know, and, and it picks up themselves again and become victorious. That's a hero. You cannot be a hero without that moment where you have to get yourself back up again. Look at Rocky. All the Rocky <laughs> movies are built on that. Um, if, if Rocky was just a movie about him beating people up and winning all the time, by the end you go, so what? What happened here? Yeah, I mean, by the end of the, the, end of the Rocky movie, you're wanting to run yeah. up the, up the Yeah, well, there. look at, you know, people, you know, I, and I'm one of them, you know, Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer in the world ever in history. He, he lost some fights, too, but then he came back. It's the comebacks that make you a hero and that make you, your life uh, worth living. I'll tell you, from reading the book, I mean, you really get a good eye on everything you guys went through. Um, I, I would say the goods and the bads of, of traveling with, with Ozzy, um, some, some well, crazy I, I, stories. I don't think there was say. anything bad about traveling with Ozzy. It was all, uh, for me personally, it was an, an experience of experiencing some, a, a, the type of individual at the t a time in history that certain things were the, this, the, that way. But then I'm specifically touring with Ozzy, which is a very unique figure in the history of music. Yeah. Still I, is. I had those records. You yeah. know, and now I've got them in yeah. CDs. Yeah, or, or they're yeah but even better. his lifestyle was very unique. You got somebody who, as he explained it to me, his generation was immediately post-World War II as a child playing in rubble. In buildings next, you know, let's say he had he lived in this building. Well, the building next door had been bombed during the war, and he's playing in the rubble, you know. And and then and then the, the only hope that they had as kids was to go into the factories and work the same jobs that their parents did, you know. And there was no way out. In rock and roll, being in a band was the way out. And pretty much for my generation too, me being a, a Cuban refugee, and I saw all the sacrifices that my parents made when we moved from, from Cuba to Miami, being in a band was my way out. That was it. My, I did not want to live. You know, I didn't want my life to be determined by all the sacrifices. I wanted to be grateful to my parents' sacrifices and do something for myself because they have already sacrificed with me so I can turn around and take care of them. You've been listening to Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger, sponsored by Danville Auto Sales. Join us the first and third Sunday of every month at 11 a.m. on WYRZ. And don't forget, if you miss a broadcast, you can hear the podcast at sightsandsoundspromotions.com. 
where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Danville Auto Sales is located in Danville, Indiana and offers a selection of used vehicles. They're located at 1237 West Main Street in Danville and their phone number is 317-775-1977. More information can be found at their website, danville-autosales.com.